All right, good morning. It's good to be together this morning. As we begin today, uh, how many of you ever had something in your, in your life happen that just uh, you, you might call a happy coincidence? Uh, something that you didn't plan on that just came together in an unbelievable way. Life is full of what we might call coincidences, just chance circumstances that come together in ways we never could have planned ourselves. I'll tell you about one this morning. I grew up in Maryland and went to a school in Chicago where I met a girl named Candace from Alabama. All right? Now that in itself is a happy coincidence, but thankful that happened. But the story continues from there. Candace was an RA who had a group of sisters on her floor from Indiana. Emily and Kate and Sarah Sparks were their names. Well, Candace and I got married, and through some circumstances that I don't have time to share this morning, we ended up living here in Alabama and joining Redeemer Church, who's a young church plant at the time. Well, a few years later, we heard that one of the girls from Candace's floor, Sarah Sparks, was going to be performing some songs that she'd written at a coffee shop in Birmingham, and so we went to see Sarah. When we went there, her sister Emily was there, and Emily was with her fiancé, who she met in Louisville. He was from Munford, Alabama. His name was Tyler Haynes. And as we talked, we realized that Tyler was discipled as a teenager by one of Redeemer's members, Joey Boyd. And about a year later, Tyler and Emily Haynes moved back to the area, and now Joey, Tyler, Emily, Candace, and myself are all members here at Redeemer. Now, is that just an unbelievable coincidence? Or is that tangible evidence that there's someone who's accomplishing his good purposes even through the incidental details of our lives? You can open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2, where we see another story that seemed at the time like just a happy coincidence. We're walking through the book of Ruth during this Advent season, and in the opening chapter of the book last week, we were brought into the story of Naomi. When the Lord brought famine on the land of Israel, Naomi and her family left the promised land and they went to the enemy nation of Moab. And they remained there and they lived there and their sons took Moabite wives. These actions reflected the reality that Naomi and her family had gone far from the Lord. But in his mercy and love, the Lord pursued Naomi. We saw this last week. The author tells us that both Naomi's husband and her two sons died. We can only imagine the grief that she would feel in losing her family, but it wasn't only grief that she faced. In the ancient world, for an aged woman to lose both her husband and her sons could only mean a life of destitution for her going forward. Well, Naomi interpreted all of this as the Lord's hand being against her for her sin. Yet when she heard that the Lord had provided food back at home in Bethlehem, though her heart was bitter, she decided to return. Now what she didn't expect was that one of her daughters-in-law, Ruth, the Moabite, would insist on returning with her. Her words to Naomi came in chapter 1 of Ruth, verses 16 and 17. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Well, this leads us to this morning's passage, Ruth chapter 2, where the spotlight shifts from the story of Naomi to the story of Ruth, and to the experience of Ruth the Moabite as she begins this new life with Naomi in Bethlehem. Ruth chapter 2 
begins with an introduction in verse 1. As we go, you can follow the outline on the screen. Introduction in verse 1 starts like this. And then Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. This verse functions like an opening scene in a movie that gives the audience information which the main characters of the movie don't yet know. As we'll see, Ruth doesn't know anything about Boaz yet, but the author wants us to know about him so that we can see better what God is going to do in the story. So, who is Boaz? Well, the author tells us two things about him. First, he's a relative of her husband's. He's part of the clan of Elimelech. The significance of this will become even clearer over the next few weeks, but for now we can say this. The fact that Boaz is a relative of Elimelech means that he could fulfill the role of what was known as a kinsman redeemer for Naomi's family. Which meant this, that by virtue of his relationship with them, he could be the one that redeems Naomi and Ruth from the hardships that they faced due to the loss of their husbands. So he's a relative of Naomi's husband. Then the second thing the author tells us is that Boaz was a worthy man. A worthy man. Now, other translations of this word worthy show that it can mean a number of things. A man of standing, an influential and wealthy man, a man of great wealth, or a mighty man of wealth, are all different translations. So which is it? Is the author telling us that Boaz is a wealthy man or a worthy man? Is he material or materially rich or is he morally excellent? Well, based on what we learn from Boaz through the rest of the story, the author probably chose this word so that we didn't have to choose between those two options. Boaz was wealthy and worthy. He was wealthy and worthy. And this is what the author wants us to know as the story of chapter 2 begins to unfold. There's a wealthy and worthy man named Boaz who is a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. That's the introduction to this chapter. Now the rest of the chapter from here on out is going to revolve around five different conversations that carry the narrative forward. We're going to look briefly at each one today. Five conversations that tell the story of Ruth chapter 2. And so the first conversation is in verses 2 and 3, Ruth and Naomi have a conversation. Ruth and Naomi. We read in verses 2 and 3, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now let's remember, in chapter 1, we saw that the Lord had visited the land of Bethlehem with food. And then Naomi and Ruth arrived back in the land at the beginning of the harvest. So this is a joyful time for Israel as they harvest the food that the Lord has provided to them. But what about Naomi and Ruth? They don't have a field to harvest. They're back, but they don't have a field to harvest. So what will they do? How will they eat? Well, the Lord made provision in the law for people in their situation. Listen to Leviticus 19, 9 and 10. The Lord instructed Israel, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the the edge. Neither shall you gather the gleans of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So notice how that instruction ends. I am the Lord your God. The God of the Bible is a God of mercy and compassion on the poor and the sojourner, and therefore his people were instructed not to collect the entire harvest for themselves. They were to leave the edges of the harvest untouched. They were to leave the leftover gleanings in the field so people just like Ruth, who was both poor and a sojourner, could glean something and eat during the harvest. The Lord built this into his law. 
Now, taking on the posture of a humble daughter to her mother, this is what Ruth asks Naomi for permission to do. But notice also how she frames her request. She says, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. That word favor will come up again and again in this chapter. It's the same word that's often translated grace. God's people were supposed to leave the gleanings for someone like Ruth, but this doesn't mean that they would actually do it, right? Ruth goes out in the hope that there will be a faithful Israelite, a worthy man, who will obey God's instructions and be a means of this grace provision to her. Remember, this is the time of the judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and she, yes, she hopes that she will find favor, grace, from one man who actually follows these instructions. While she goes out in this hope, we get one of the best lines of scripture, and she happened to come to part of the field belonging to Boaz. The literal translation would read something like this, as chance chanced. As chance chanced. A good modern translation would be, as luck would have it, and of course the author's writing tongue-in-cheek here, the biblical world is not a world of happenstance and chance and luck. We, the audience, already know who this Boaz is, and now we see in what seems like a coincidence to Ruth that she happens to come to his field. One commentator puts it this way, the writer knows and we, the readers, know that this was no accident. What to Ruth was sheer coincidence in an unplanned set of circumstances we understand as part of the outworking of God's gracious care. And so this first conversation results in Ruth unwittingly working in the field of worthy Boaz, the one through whom she and Naomi will experience God's extraordinary kindness. Now before we move to the second conversation, let's not miss this comforting truth this morning. God is at work in the incidental details of our lives for our good and his glory. God is at work in the little details of our everyday lives for our good and his glory. He's at work in ways that we could never know till after the fact, sometimes in ways that we might not know till eternity, but we can always be assured God is at work in the everyday details of our lives. He is in control of it all, working for our good and his glory. This leads us to the second conversation, the story, this time between Boaz and his reapers. Boaz and his reapers in verses four through seven. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So the conversation begins with a godly greeting that colors the entire scene for us. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. Now these aren't just typical cultural greetings like when someone says God bless in the south, right? No, here we get the immediate sense that, that Boaz is a worshiper. Worship pervades the workplace of Boaz. Here we see that even during the time of the judges, a time of national spiritual darkness, even then there were true worshipers of the Lord in the land of Israel. Boaz was one of them. And as he comes to his field, he notices one of the girls who's gleaning behind the reapers, and he asks his reaper about her, his head reaper, whose young woman is this? Now we might be thrown off by the word whose. We might think she would say, who is this? But he says, whose young woman is this? That might sound demeaning in our times, but the question doesn't reflect a low view 
of woman as if she was a piece of property. No, it actually reflects a high view of family and relationships. You see, someone's identity was known by their place in relation to their family and their community. And Boaz is unfamiliar with this girl and where she fits in that relational network. So whose is she? Well, the reaper's answer reveals the way that the community at large saw Ruth. She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. In other words, who is this young woman? She's a Moabite. She's a foreigner. She's the outsider who came back with Naomi. You see, this is the way the people of Israel looked at Ruth as a Gentile outsider in their midst. She had said to Naomi, your people will be my people. But Naomi's people, the Israelites, weren't exactly welcoming her into the community of God's people. She still carried the stigma of Moab. We can only imagine what Ruth was experiencing. She was physically in the community, but she probably felt very alone. I'm sure she wondered if she made the right decision to return with Naomi. Whatever she was feeling, that didn't keep her from seeking the Lord's grace through the system of gleaning that he had established. The reaper also tells Boaz about her hard work in the field. She got there early in the morning, and she's worked hard till daylight with only a short rest. And when Boaz realizes all this, who she is, and he hears about her hard work in the field, he's compelled to speak to her, which leads to the third conversation in the passage between Boaz and Ruth. Conversation three, Boaz and Ruth. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your mother and father in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. So Boaz initiates this conversation with Ruth, and we immediately notice his tender disposition. My daughter. Unlike the other Israelites, Boaz does not treat her like an outsider. Instead, he kindly invites her to remain gleaning in his field close to his female reapers. Not only that, but he assures her that the young men will not seek to take advantage of her. Instead, that they will actually let her drink from the water that they draw when she needs a rest. Essentially, Boaz goes out of his way to come to Ruth and create a safe and ideal working environment for her in the field as she gleans. Well, her response is in verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? She's stunned by Boaz's kindness to her, and she's poignantly aware that she has done nothing to deserve it. She knows that she's not an Israelite. She humbly bows herself low and asks, Why would you treat me with such kindness? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know where I'm from? Why show grace to a foreigner like me? We can sum up Boaz's answer like this. You're not a foreigner anymore. You, Ruth, are a true Israelite. 
You're a true Israelite. Look at the things he says. He first points to the way she's cared for and served Naomi. All that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me. How you left your father and mother and your native land, came to a people you didn't know before. Boaz is aware of Ruth's story, and he sees in Ruth someone who has chosen the path of sacrificial love for Naomi. And through that love for her mother-in-law, Boaz perceives a deeper spiritual reality in her heart. The Lord repay you for what you've done. A full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You see, Ruth has taken refuge under the wings of the Lord, the God of Israel. She's left her land and she's left her gods for the promised land and the one true God. And what Boaz is saying to Ruth is this, I recognize your faith in the Lord through your love for Naomi. And my prayer to God for you, my desire is that your faith will be rewarded. That's why I'm showing this kindness to you. Ruth went into the fields hoping that she would find favor in the eyes of a faithful Israelite and she's met with kindness from someone who affirms that she too is a faithful Israelite now. His words are a comfort to her, but he doesn't stop with mere words. When it comes time for the meal, he invites her to join him and his reapers for a feast of roasted grain and wine. Verse 14 shows this is not just his leftovers. She ate until she was satisfied and she had some leftover. Before we keep going, let me just ask you to reflect. Have you ever felt alone in the community of God's people? Have you ever felt alone in the community of God's people? Have you ever felt like an outsider even after you had come into the doors of a church? Listen, if that's you this morning even, don't turn back. Be like Ruth, don't turn back. Trust that the Lord will meet you and he will help you. Give yourself to his promises. And church family, let's understand that it just takes one person to bring comfort to someone who feels like an outsider. One person to move toward another in love and to speak words of kindness and encouragement. One person to notice and serve the one who feels alone. And don't say to yourself this morning, someone else can be that person. No, be that person. Be that one. Move toward visitors. Move toward those you don't know as well. Move toward those who are alone with the kindness and comfort of Boaz. Just like Ruth said, she, she says, you've comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant. This is what Ruth experienced through the kindness of Boaz, and we can, we can do that for each other as well. So this is the fourth conversation again between Boaz and his reapers. Verses 15 through 17, when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. Do not reproach her. Also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean. Do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. If you're like me, you might read that and not really catch what it all means. So here's what Boaz does. After Ruth gets up from the meal to go glean again, he gives two instructions to his reapers. First, he says, let her glean further in. She doesn't need to stay on the edges. Let her glean where the harvest is full. And second, as you're reaping, leave some bundles behind for her to glean. In other words, he wants to make sure that Ruth gleans way more than she otherwise would. When the end of the day comes, that's exactly what happened. She had about an ephah of barley. Translated in our day, she had enough barley to last several weeks for her and Naomi. And here's what we need to notice here about Boaz. He's not merely adhering to the law. He's going above and beyond the letter of the law in a spirit of love. 
He could have simply allowed Ruth to glean around the edges, just like Leviticus 19 calls for, but instead he abounds in loving kindness to her. It's a picture of faithful service and care for others. In faithful care, we aren't concerned with the minimal requirements of what we ought to do. We're continually asking, what can I do? You see, true care for others interprets the law through the lens of love and asks not, have I done enough to meet the law, but instead, have I done all I can? This is what Boaz does for Ruth. This is the way we're called to love each other. Have we done all we can to help and bless someone in need? And this brings us to the final conversation, again between Ruth and Naomi. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. I can only imagine how excited Ruth would have been to see Naomi's response after the day she had just had. She brings home both the ephah of barley and the leftover food from the meal she shared with Boaz and the reapers. And of course, Naomi's stunned and asks, whose field did you work in today? Whoever it was, may the Lord bless him for showing you such kindness. And Ruth tells Naomi, the man's name was Boaz. And it seems that this is the turning point for Naomi, from bitterness to hope. Naomi says, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi immediately recognizes what Ruth didn't know, that the man she was working with all day is a relative who could fulfill the responsibilities of kinsman redeemer. And in this seeming coincidence, Naomi sees for herself God's very own covenant kindness to her family, now including Ruth. And when we last saw Naomi, she, said she believed God was against her, she believed his hand had gone out against her, but now she begins to see that God has always been for her. Their conversation ends in a somewhat surprising way. Ruth lets Naomi know that Boaz invited her to continue gleaning until the end of the harvest. Naomi says, it's good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. If you think about it, doesn't this seem like an odd way to conclude this conversation? It would be much more dramatic if the last thing that was recorded was, he's one of our redeemers. The end. Why does the author include this last part of their interaction? It's because of this. The author wants us to see how Ruth's story is shaping Naomi's story. You see, Naomi's instructions to Ruth represent the lesson she has learned. She and her husband were in the fields of the promised land. They were under the kind protection of the God of Israel, and yet they went to another field. They went to the land of Moab away from the Lord's kindness, away from the Lord's protection, and in that field, away from the Lord, they experienced all the assaults of a sin-broken world. And now Naomi's words to Ruth reveal that she understands what she should have understood all along. She's saying, don't be like I was, Ruth. Don't go to another field. Stay under the protection of Boaz. Stay where the Lord has shown you his kindness. Stay in the field of promise. 
And Naomi's beginning to see what she's done. She's, she's seeing the light of the Lord's kindness. Church, in our relationship with the Lord, there will be times of blessing and there will be times of barrenness. There will be times of fruitfulness and there will be times of famine. It's easy to stay near the Lord during seasons of blessing, isn't it? But what will you do when you enter a season of famine? Hear Naomi's words, don't go to another field. By faith, remain in the field of promise. Trust that God will bring his blessing to you again. Stay in the field that the Lord has put you in. The passage concludes in verse 23 with a verse that bridges to next chapter. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. This verse shows us that the Lord has blessed Ruth and Naomi. The Lord's rewarded Ruth for her faith, and yet she remains unmarried. She remains a widow, living with her widowed mother-in-law. And this is where the chapter will pick up next week. Now, for us today, we've already gleaned a lot this morning. No pun intended. But what holds this whole chapter together We need to see that still. What's the main idea this morning from Ruth 2 for us? Now, in the kind of storytelling that we're used to, the main idea of a story usually comes at the end of the story. But one of the ways that many biblical authors showed their main idea was through what we call a chiasm. A chiasm, like uh, we have in this passage, is, is a mirror image of itself. A passage mirrors itself, and the center of the passage is where the main idea is found. That's what we have in Ruth 2. We have five conversations, and at the very center is the conversation between Boaz and Ruth. We can see it this way. You notice the way the author has structured his passage to point us to the center. And if we look at that central conversation, you know it's in the very center of the passage? These words from Boaz. The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. This is the center of the story. This is the high point of Ruth chapter 2. Ruth took refuge under the wings of the Lord, and the Lord rewarded her through the kindness of Boaz, her redeemer. In light of all this, here's the main idea for us this morning. The Lord kindly rewards all who take refuge in him through our redeemer. The Lord kindly rewards all who take refuge in him through our redeemer. It's three things that we want to see from this main idea as we close today. First, the Lord is a refuge for all people. The Lord is a refuge for all people. The language of refuge is common in Scripture, especially in the Psalms of David. But we don't use that word very often today, do we? The reality is that we don't often feel a need for a refuge. We live in comparatively safe times. However, we do live in Alabama, and We face the reality of tornadoes. When the tornadoes come, we all know that we need to find our safe place, right? That's really what a refuge is. It's the place of safety in the midst of danger. A place of safety in the midst of danger. And so when Boaz heard Ruth's story, he understood that she had made a decision to take refuge under the wings of the Lord. The picture of a mother eagle protecting her young under the cover of her wings. Boaz says to Ruth, that's what you've done, Ruth. But we need to ask, what was Ruth taking refuge from? What was the danger that caused her to seek refuge in the Lord? Well, we know her sufferings. We know that her husband died. We know that she faced a life of destitution. But did she return 
with Naomi to Israel because of the safety and prosperity that was promised in Israel? No, that's why Naomi tried to convince her not to come back, right? Naomi told her in chapter one, essentially, if you return with me, you will never marry and you will live a life of poverty. Don't come back with me. There's nothing for you in Israel. So Ruth did not return with Naomi to Israel because it held out a promise of material provision or of marital life. She was not fundamentally seeking refuge from these sufferings. Well, what was she seeking refuge from then? The only conclusion can be that in God's grace, she understood that she needed refuge from the eternal danger that she was in as a Moabite. She was an idolater. She was a foreigner who had worshipped other gods. Somehow, perhaps through the stories of Elimelech's family of the Exodus, but somehow she came to understand that her gods were not the true God. Somehow she came to believe that her idolatry was an affront to the one true God. She came to understand that she deserved judgment, and by God's grace, she came to understand that the God whose judgment she was under was a God who invited her to take refuge in him. She chose to take refuge in the Lord from the eternal danger of her idolatry instead of finding refuge from her widowhood, instead of finding refuge from her poverty. See, we often run to try to find refuge from our temporal circumstances, from our temporary sufferings. How can I find protection from the things that are happening here and now? But Ruth understood there's something much more dangerous. I can, I can live in widowhood. I can live in poverty, but I need the Lord. I need refuge in him. And the Bible tells us that we all share in Ruth's predicament, her predicament of idolatry. We all are idolaters. We've all exchanged the glory of the one true God for the glory of created things. We all are subject to his righteous and eternal judgment. But Ruth's story also shows us that we all are invited to take refuge in the Lord. Ancient Moabites and 21st century Southerners alike can become part of the true people of God by turning away from idolatry and placing all our trust in his grace. Psalm 2 says, Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The Lord is a refuge for all people. Second, the Lord rewards us with his undeserved kindness. The Lord rewards us with his undeserved kindness. Let's go back to the idea of a safe place. Down the road from Redeemer, there's a new storm shelter at the Friendship Community Center. Now, I've never been in a storm shelter. Has anyone ever been in a storm shelter like that? Okay, a few of you. So I confirm this for me, but I imagine that when you go in, you don't want to stay there any longer than you have to. It's not, it's not like an inviting, welcoming, comfortable place, right? But imagine that you go in the storm shelter, and when you enter in, it's a five-star restaurant. Imagine that you enter in, and there's a peaceful oasis, and there's a hammock by a body of water, and it's just this wonderful, peaceful, uh, satisfying place. Well, listen, this is the wonderful surprise for all who take refuge in the Lord. We're not just given a shelter we're brought into a place of wonderful blessing and reward. When we take refuge in the Lord, we find that he rewards us with undeserved kindness. Think about what Ruth experienced in this chapter. The kindness of protection in the fields, the kindness of water to drink when she was thirsty, the kindness of fellowship over a satisfying meal, the kindness of an overabundance of gleanings to take home with her, and within all this, the kindness of being part of the community of God's covenant people. Why exactly did Ruth receive all this kindness? 
Boaz uses the language of repayment and reward. Does this mean that Ruth somehow earned these blessings? Does this mean that our good works can somehow merit repayment from God? Well, aside from the many places in Scripture that teach us otherwise, we can actually see in Ruth and Boaz's own words that that's not the case. What does Ruth say when Boaz shows her kindness? Why have I found favor in your sight? Again, favors, that same word we know as grace. Ruth knows this kindness is undeserved. And what does Boaz point to as the reason? Not fundamentally her love for Naomi. No, underneath that love, he points to the fact that she has taken refuge in the Lord. You see, it's not her works that lead to reward or repayment. It's her faith in the Lord that's expressed itself through love for her mother-in-law. The Lord is rewarder of true faith. And true faith always expresses itself through love. The Lord rewards us with his undeserved kindness. What are the undeserved kindnesses that the Lord rewards us with in response to faith? Well, Ruth received the kindness of protection in the field. The Lord rewards us with the kindness of protection from our sin and from Satan and from death and hell itself. Ruth received the kindness of water to drink, food to eat till she was satisfied. The Lord rewards us with the kindness of living water and the bread of life. Ruth received an overabundance of gleanings in the harvest. The Lord rewards us with the promise of the Holy Spirit himself, who is the first fruits of all of God's blessings. We don't deserve any of this, but the Lord has extended all of this kindness to us who have taken refuge in him. The Lord rewards us with undeserved kindness. Ruth asked why. Why have you shown favor to me? But this morning, we can also ask this question. How? How can the holy God respond to my idolatry with such rich reward? Leads to the final point this morning. The Lord extends his rewards through our Redeemer. The Lord extends his rewards through our Redeemer. Neither Boaz nor Ruth knew that day in the fields what we can clearly see today that God was working through the incidental details of their lives to prepare the way for a greater Boaz, a far descendant of Boaz. That day in the field, Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, was the mediator of God's rewards to Ruth. But the rewards that we receive come to us through someone who is truly the worthy man. The Lord's rewards come to us through a man who is rich in righteousness. And yet, as 2 Corinthians 8 tells us, though he was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That day in the field, Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, gave expression to the grace of God toward Ruth. But Titus 2 tells us that the grace of God has now appeared, bringing salvation for all people. When did the grace of God appear? When the Son of God became the son of Boaz in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. The grace of God appeared when Jesus Christ was born to be our Redeemer. He came and he lived a perfectly righteous life. And then he willingly laid down his life in love as a sacrifice for our sins. On the third day he rose again. And now it's in him alone that we can take refuge from the judgment that we deserve for our sins. He is the refuge. But not only that, he is the one who mediates the rewards to us. Through him we have forgiveness of our sins. Through him we have adoption into God's family. Through him we have the presence of the Holy Spirit. Through him we receive the promise of eternal life and perfect fellowship with our loving creator. 
Every reward of our salvation comes to us through Jesus, our rock, and our redeemer. So this morning, let's join our voices together, church, as we take refuge in him and rejoice in the Lord's undeserved kindnesses that have come to us only through him.